This is a Mirakami Minute presented by the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. You ready for some Mirakami weirdness? Hell yeah. Hells to the yeah. Give me a hell yeah. This is like part four, I think. Is that what we're on? Something like that, yeah. Part five. This is part five because we recorded two last week, I think. Yeah. Um, part well, four hasn't dropped yet as of this recording. It'll be out when this comes out. Yeah, because the last one that came out was part three, so we have part four. This week's we'll record, coming out. Yeah, recorded. So this is part five. Five that we are currently recording. So that 42 seconds of bringing that up was for me just to say, I don't think we have to introduce ourselves anymore for the Mirakami Minute. No. I if you don't know us by now, like, why are you fucking listening to it? Why would you just skip to part four or five if yeah. you haven't listened? It really, it, with these, is it like we introduce ourselves at the beginning and that should be enough. We don't need And if we have like a guest. Yeah. So, Americom- ooh, that's what we need is a Mirakami guest. That would be cool. Um, I'm going to see what Haruki Mirakami is yeah, doing. Yeah, I'm sure you got nothing going on. And I'm sure he either speaks perfect English or has perfect Japanese, so it shouldn't be a problem at all. Like, and today's guest, Shigeru Murakami. And I'm like, who? who? Like, it's just a Mirakami. That's all we can get. <laughs> we just got a Mirakami. Sh- Shigeru Mirakami. I don't, I don't know. Today's episode, we covered one ados. Well, I can't. That's the Spanish. Yeah. Ichi, ni, san, and uh, that's it. You have an no, ichi, ni, Thir- I- san? Ichi, ni, san. Ichi, ni, san. Shut up, Spencer. So we got three stories. Uh, this first one, the... I fucked it up immediately. Is that even possible that I can read it and fuck up the word A? <laughs> I said the window. It's a window. <laughs> I looked right... I looked dead at it and said the... My brain is not there because I'm not sitting over there trying to read. I was coming up with some weird words like I was, I don't know. Like things were not looking right to me. Something's wrong with me. Might be having like a stroke or something. I don't know. I drank too much coffee today. Um, so this story had an interesting premise. I really like the premise, but it being like four or five pages. What did you say the, the title? Cause you just, a Window. Oh, A Window. Okay. A Window. It's not uh, much of a story. Again, like some of these, his shorter stories, like his five page stories aren't really stories. This one pretty much follows that. Like I said, the premise is cool. A 22-year-old college student gets a job as a pen master for a little company called the Pen Society that hires people who read and critique letters from strangers. Uh, so And mostly women, it seems like, because they're just lonely or bored. So they send letters in, and these guys, uh, these pen masters, who they a- don't know anything about them, will write back like, hey, you know, this is pretty good writing, but and they just give them critiques on the writing. And it's like pen pal. Yeah, kind of like pen pals almost, too. Uh, the protagonist finds one woman's letter about hamburger steak intriguing. Never called it hamburger steak, steak, but Japanese thing, maybe. But he finds the hamburger steak intriguing, and after he quits the job, because uh, he's just, you know, he's a college kid. He's only working there part-time or something. Uh, he meets her in person, which is against the rules. But again, because he quit, doesn't really matter. Him and this woman, they eat, and I think she's a good bit older than him, and she thought he would be older because he's a pen master. Uh, she's married and whatnot. And that's most of these stories, if you notice. It's like one of the people are married, and then whoever uh, the other person is uh, comes. I'm just kind of wondering if Mirakami's just a swinger. Maybe. I mean. Or maybe he's just living his fantasies of uh, cheating on his wife. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe he just really likes to write about those things. Is he married? Yeah, he's been married. I don't know. I don't know you man. should know the biography. Again, we should have probably, first episode should have just been a biography of Haruki Mirakami. But we'll cover that in the fourth Mirakami series. Yeah. Two more books from now. We'll cover that when we move on to uh, fucking Ryu Mirakami. Mm-hmm. And then we're just like, oh, yeah, by the way, the Haruki Mirakami guy, he was born in Kyoto. And mm-hmm. like, just go into that. 
But that's not who we're talking about. No, this no, 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 ignore it. Um, anyway, so they eat the hamburger steak and talk a bit about writing, and then they never see or talk to each other again. That was it. Like that's all I gotta say about that was the synopsis. There was not much of a story. Did you take anything away from it? I uh, didn't even get any uh real overarching themes or anything other than just kind of the happenstance of meeting people. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was um like I said, it was an interesting premise. As the ones that are the shorter couple pages, I think I like this one probably like the best. It wasn't about obsessive people, which yeah. I liked uh, like some of the short ones so and far. And then too because I also like it because it's like because it kind of talked about like uh also, like, kind of, like, missed opportunities and stuff, because there was, there was also kind of, like, a weird, like, sexual tension yeah. between the two, and he's like, I didn't do anything, you know, sometimes I thought about, like, if I should have, but I didn't, and, like, I don't know, I just, uh, I thought that was kind of, like, an interesting, just kind of, like, looking back at, like, you know, kind of, like, if you were, like, someone you were just telling a buddy, like, like I said, one kind time, of missed opportunities, yeah. almost, or just, you kind of, something could have happened, but you just let it go, which would be kind of, like, the negligence of youth you think ah you know i'll have plenty of weird adventures like these in the future i don't gotta capitalize on this particular moment but then he missed it and now he's never gonna see that lady again so it was it was interesting now nothing to write home about but uh the next one i actually really like this story because it was weird <laughs> uh tv people yeah and i think when i bring up this analogy by the way folks if you're listening to well it's too late now I had a retcon in our last episode and actually put a public service announcement in the oh. middle because we went on a fucking 15-minute, the Purple Pros episode, oh. a 15-minute discussion about analogy when the word I meant was allegory. Uh. So we sounded so stupid. Like We talked about analogy like it was allegory, and I don't know why I even said analogy and why it just I didn't think to correct it. And then you just went along with it like oh, a buffoon. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Neither of us were. So if, you, if anyone listens to that episode, that warning is like, you know, I gave it a cringe warning. I was like, hey, just so you know, we're fucking dumb. <laughs> but I did fix it. I knew what I was talking about. I just, you, at the you, time, for whatever reason, did You not. should have went through and every time one of us said it, you should have just edited it out and just robotically oh. put it, you, you, just you saying it in there. So Tolkien's <laughs> view on allegory yes. was that <laughs> Uh, we're, we're very off topic. For the people who only listen to Mirror Kong, they're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Uh, the, so TV people, brief synopsis here. It's a very simple story. Um, it's about this guy. He's like an office worker. His wife is, I kind of got the impression she was a little overbearing. Uh, more kind of like OCD-like. Like if he touches her magazines or anything, she flies off the handle. Uh, and she also works in an office, but they have a regular hour, so they don't see each other too often. But one day she goes to work and he's at home. It's a Sunday, and he hates sun- he hates Sundays. Doesn't like he just slays around. And he hates them. He's a bum, I guess. Feels bad about being a bum. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I would like that. But he he feels like a kind of like how we often feel. It's like, oh, I had time to read and write, and I didn't do either of those things. I feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> but he uh, is sitting on the couch, and three men just walk in his house, and he's like, I think I locked the door, but they still came in. Was it locked? I don't know. And they come in carrying a TV. Don't even acknowledge him. And you figure back when it's written, it had to be one of them big boys. Oh, yeah, real big TV. They start moving stuff around to put this TV, and he's just kind of, like, frozen. Like, he doesn't know what to do. And he also notices that they're smaller than normal people. They're not dwarfs. They're not, like, uh, like they don't look like kids. They just look like regular humans if their features were kind of less memorable and they just were like shrunk. Like every, they were complete proportion. They just look like smaller people. 
you know what I uh what I kept on uh, visualizing while reading this, except like the height thing wouldn't match up, but the uh the underpants gnome. It's from in South my Park. notes. <laughs> it's in my notes right there. Underpants gnomes. I was gonna bring it up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's. The, uh, we'll get to it. I was waiting because I wanted to uh get to the synopsis real quick. So he, they bring the TV in and they move stuff around and then they end up leaving and he's just like, what the fuck happened? And then the TV because he didn't have TV, just like blank channels. He's like, oh, that was weird. And he's like, my wife is going to flip out because, like, all her magazines fell, her bookmarks fell out. Uh, everything's just messed up. And he's visioning this whole scenario, her coming home, getting mad at him. She comes home, doesn't notice, doesn't acknowledge the TV, doesn't notice anything, goes around through her magazines. It's just weird. It's a very weird scene. Especially with how, um, like you say, like, uh, OCD, they kind of, yeah. they he kind of you know, portrayed her, you know, early, you know, very early on. So she, well, even, yeah, he mentions multiple times she would notice the most minute thing out of place. So if there's just a big TV there, yeah. that shouldn't be there. Well, even ends the scene too, which is weird, is because this clock falls on the ground. Because there's a l- odd use of automatopoeia in this story. Like, the clock kept making, like, everything kept making these weird sounds. Yeah. But the spelling was, like, unpronounced. Like, it didn't make a, s- I don't know if I have an example Okay, so here's a qu- just a random example of this, because this is like almost every page or some kind of example, and I don't know what they're supposed to represent these sounds, uh, but anonymous footsteps pass by down the hall, intentionally loud as ever. Like, these aren't letters that would make... And, uh, yeah. And from reading manga, I know Japanese have different sound effects mm-hmm. for things, like how we, like a dog bark is like wolf or ro- like rar. It's like over there, it's like something different like a lot of things like skit 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 like sk sounds and stuff but like these aren't these wouldn't make sounds anything like like the clock makes weird sounds like that like but anyway this uh this clock's on the ground and he's in there lamenting because he knows he's gonna get up and he has to pee every night and he's gonna know he's gonna hit his toe off it and like the the clock goes off really loud and he knows it and he looks at his wife and he could tell she acknowledge like knows it's going off but she just ignores it so very weird Fast forward, he goes to his office, and I love this scene so much. So he's working, and he has like just nonstop meetings this day. It's fucking terrible. And he's in the office, like, and they're they're all in a meeting, and he like he's he's just so fixated on these stupid what you said underpants gnomes, these TV people that he can't concentrate on the meeting, and he ends up like making one comment just so he could like say he was involved, and then. uh Everyone, like, laughed or something, so he must have been witty. He didn't realize he was. He doesn't even remember what he said. Yeah, he doesn't even remember, but, uh, like, one of the bosses that he doesn't like comes up to him and is like, oh, hey, man, you you know, that was great what you said in there. He's like, yeah, get the fuck away from me. Like, he just likes the, dislikes the guy for no reason at all. Uh, but then they, they go back into another meeting, and they're all talking and stuff, and this is where the underpants gnomes comes in again. The TV people, and for those who don't know, on South Park, they did an episode with the underpants gnomes, where they would just be walking into like people's rooms, stealing their underwear, and everyone that was there would just never acknowledge yeah. them. So the TV people just come in bringing a big-ass TV to the meeting room, like the conference room, and they're just walking around trying to figure out a place to put it, and it's a Sony TV, and this company is on, like an electronics company. You know, that's a competing brand. They can't have that there. And they're like, oh, the guy's thinking, oh, everybody's going to be like, can't this, this can't have Sony in here. It's going to be a problem. Nobody pays attention to the under the, the fucking the TV people. They just ignore them. Three guys are just walking around with TV and then they end up leaving. And he's like, I know they had to have seen them because they moved out of their way. Yeah. Like they had, they, they, they had to know, but nobody acknowledged, nobody, you know, paid any attention. 
So he follows one of his coworkers to the bathroom who he likes, goes to the urinal next to him, and they're like talking about how shitty the meetings are and stuff. And then he just happens to, you know, mention he's just kind of sly about it. He's like, so about those uh, TV guys, huh? And then the other guy doesn't comment. And then he just washes his hand for a really long time and kind of ignores him. Then when they go back into the meeting, the guy won't look at him. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? I know they saw this. Well, it, it start, actually started off in the office before that is because he, does, he doesn't like taking the elevator. He takes the stairs. When he's going up the stairs, he passed one of the TV people going down the stairs. And they just like when these things don't acknowledge him at all. Well, then we get to the end of it. And he's at home again, and his wife's out, and she's running late. And anytime one of them, they have a deal. You know, if you're running late, call, leave a message or something so the other person knows if they can just make dinner or, you know, do whatever. Well, he's sitting there, and there's nothing. The TV's not even working at this point. And then all of a sudden, I think he ends up going to sleep or something. He has, like, a really weird dream about he's in the conference room, and he has to talk really fast or else he'll turn to stone, and everyone else has turned to stone. Well, then when he wakes up, the TV's on, and there's one of the TV people on the TV. And then a really cool scene, the TV person, almost like the ring, like crawls out of the TV like he's crawling through a window. And then he's like, okay, this is weird. And the TV person starts talking to him and is like, hey, guess what, buddy? We're making an airplane. He's like, what? And on the TV is two other TV people making just like some random hunk of shit. Like it's not, even, it's not shaped like an airplane. Yeah. Doesn't look like an airplane, but it's a goddamn airplane. And in the TV, he keeps mentioning like it doesn't look like an airplane. And the TV person is just, he just keeps saying, "Oh, we put a little for you know some some paint on it, look like a airplane." And then like you can just tell the guy's kind of going crazy. Uh, then as they're watching these TV people, he notices his hands are getting kind of smaller, and he's just like, "What's going on?" And uh, essentially. I believe because it's like his wife's never coming back. This TV person tells him she's far away. And he's like, what's going on? And uh, I'm pretty sure he turns into a TV person is what happens. I I think that's the ending there. But I got a couple good parts from this story I really liked. Um, And you don't have to worry about this episode going long because the next one, the next story, I don't have much to say about. (sighs) Uh, I didn't care for that fucking, the the Chinese boat one. Mm. Didn't like that one. Okay, so page 197. I really like this metaphor here on page 197. Oh, this is like right when the fucking story starts, too. Actually, that's all pretty good. I think this was a Jay Rubin translation, too. So, tides of confusion washed through, premonitions tugging at memories, memories tugging at premonitions. A finely honed razor moon floats white in the sky, roots of doubt burrow into the earth. I really like that, the, the, the razor moon. Because like it's just because you just instantly picture like such a sharp, curved moon. Um, I I really like that metaphor there, and uh, just like the whole thing about the tugging on the memories and the memories on the premonition. I thought that was really cool. This was also cool too. I don't know if you really got if you noticed this, but uh, on page one ninety eight, because he's talking about how these people were like seventy percent smaller or mm-hmm. something. Like I forget what it was. It was just like the proportions. Like they were just this much smaller. Well. As he's talking about how, like, they're smaller, if you know, it says, it, it goes, an illusion where the hand fails to touch objects close by, yet brushes what is out of reach. That's TV people. That's TV people. That's TV people. But each line of that's TV people, people the font's small, smaller. Yeah. So it's, like, showing you how they're actually smaller, which was really cool. Because these are very weird beings, and you never do learn their purpose. No, you don't know what they're there for, why why they messing around with But TVs. this can easily be a Mirakami novel, like this oh, weird yeah. like, uh, premise that he has here. This almost makes me think, like, did the guys from South Park, did they ever just... Read Mirakami? <laughs> yeah, and just was like, well, you, you know, we could use that in TV. Underpants and homes. 
and I'm going to finish this story off with this. I really, uh, I really like this, um, that, that stone dream he had. I thought that was really cool. So I'm just going to read the whole, see, when does that start? I'll just read the whole page. He rubs his left hand in the palm of his right, slowly acclimating himself to the world outside the television. On and on, reduced right hand fingers rubbing reduced left hand fingers. No hurry. He has that all the time in the world nonchalance, like a veteran TV show host. Then he looks me in the face. We're making an airplane, says the TV person. That's not what I was looking for. Dreamlining surface. Maybe I put the wrong page down. <laughs> I like how they say the airplane looks like an orange juicer. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I'm probably stupid. It's probably the previous page because I'm a fucking idiot. I am an idiot. It, says, it that, starts with, I had a dream. I had a dream. I dream about a meeting. I'm standing up, delivering a statement I myself don't understand. I open my mouth and talk. If I don't, I'm a dead man. I have to keep talking. I have to keep coming out with endless blah, blah, blah. Everyone around me is dead. Dead and turned to stone. A room full of stone statues. A wind is blowing. The windows are all broken, gust of air coming in, and the TV people are here, three of them. Like the first time, they're carrying a Sony color TV, and on the screen are the TV people. I'm running out of words. Little by little, I can feel my fingertips growing stiffer, gradually turning to stone. I thought that was really cool because that's like a classic Mirakami weird dream scenario, but a lot of times in his work, those turn out to not be dreams. It's just like somebody's just turning into some kind of weird, uh, you know, like that, in that case, a stone statue. But that was one of my favorite stories so far in this collection, just because of the weird nature of it. The next one, I did not care for this one so much. The, uh, what is it? The long boat to China. Yeah. It's about a protect, like our protagonist reminisces about all the times he's met Chinese people in his life. Am I, is that the synopsis here pretty much? It, yeah. I kind of what it seems like. You kept on referring to him as a Chinese or the Chinese. Yeah, yeah, I mean, China and Japan have a very bad history, uh, especially World War II, like what Japan did to Chinese people. But I, so I, you know, Mirakami being just outside of that World War II or, you know, the uh, boomer generation, he he went through the whole transition of Japan going from like the evil empire to, you know, what they are now. So I'm sure the views are like very skewed. I don't know how they feel about Chinese people now. When this was written, it seems... Not necessarily negative, it's just like you said, how we refer to him. Uh, but this is also an Alfred Birnbaum translation again, so I, I'm not sure how he handles it. But, like, this story, like, it starts off, like, the protagonist, he's, like, a kid playing baseball and gets a concussion because he runs into, like, a pole. And then he just starts reminiscing about the Chinese people he's met. Like, the first one is when he's a kid, he acts, like, on accident or through some kind of clerical error, he ends up going to a Chinese elementary school. But from what I understand, I think it's still all Japanese kids there. Well, I think they had to send like a group of Japanese kids to the to this Chinese school for like some for like a testing, like you know, yeah. for like a. But it's not important. It doesn't even really matter no. to the story. It's just like that. The teacher was Chinese, so he met a Chinese guy. There's there's literally no significance there, really. And then the next part, he's, like, at a job or something when he's 19, and, like, working in a shitty factory with no heat, and he's working with a Chinese girl. This is the most meaningful of interactions, I guess you could say, in this story. He... I'd say this is the the one that I like. Yeah, I like the, this part. Because what, there was, like, three of them, right? Yeah. He, uh... So he's hanging out with this girl at work, and she's, like, very... 
no nonsense, doesn't really talk that much and stuff. And it's a miserable working situation. She, like they talk about like, oh, we could freeze it to death, like it's so cold. But she always like uh set the pace. Yeah. Work. She's always the person you had to like, you know keep he was the only one that can keep up with her. And then that uh, you know, he ends up asking her out like on a kind of like a date again. He has a steady girlfriend, but they're kinda gonna like on the outs now or something, they're gonna break up. So it's one another one of those deals. I don't know why Mirakami's protagonists always have a significant other that they never see. Mm. It's very weird. Or they're very distanced from. But he ends up going out with her. The most significant part of this, to me, is the fact that it was the first time I ever read the word discotheque. <laughs> I did not know it was spelled like this. D-I-S-C-O-T-H-E-Q-U-E. When yeah. I read it, I was like, what's a discotheque? Like, I, I, I just completely went through. But then the next paragraph, he's talking about them dancing at the disco. And I was like, a discotheque? I never knew. Why, why would it be spelled that way? It's like how British people spell check. <laughs> So stupid. Um, so yeah, they're at the discotheque. I almost wanted to do research on discotheque to see what the fuck that actually means, but I didn't get that far. But uh, so they go to the discotheque and they dance, and she does. She's a little nervous. Like I don't know how to dance, and then he's like, "Oh, you just shake it. You know, just shake your skinny ass. You shake know, your money maker." So they do that for hours, and they get all hot and sweaty. And then because they're young, they start walking around the city, and she informs him that she has to be home by eleven p.m. Because she lives with her brother, and he's very strict about that. The protagonist is like, okay, well, I would like to uh, call you sometime if that's okay. And they're like, it's a really nice scene. It's like, oh, they're like really connected now. And uh, she writes his number on a matchbook that he got from the disco. And then he puts her on the train, and she leaves. And immediately he's like, oh, fuck, I put her on the wrong train. She ends up like coming back, like I don't know, 45 minutes later because it circles around. This scene, this part got a little weird. So she was like very upset, but didn't want to like... Like, her voice was very small, and it was clear that she was crying. What It was weird. It was like, oh, I made a mistake. I don't, I didn't mean to put you on that. But she felt like he was angry at her and put her on purpose. Yeah, to, to screw with her. I don't know why. why. But, I mean, I could I could see, like, her um, coming to that conclusion. Like, yeah. But, I mean, other than the fact well, that they had Well, he was very really self-centered good. and yeah. whatnot. Like, he doesn't mean to be. He just, like, starts thinking about stuff too much, so then he just kind of only thinks about himself. Like anybody else in any of his stories? Yeah, pretty much. She, you know, so he puts her on the wrong train, but he immediately felt, and he waited for her to come back. Yeah. So I don't know, like, why she was, like, so upset about it. But then, like, they kind of make up, and he's like, well, can I call you tomorrow at least? And she was like, yeah, you can do that. And then she leaves, and then he uh, throws his matchbook away on accident. Yeah, but then he, like, he threw his, his like, second last blunder, blood. and he can't call her. And then he just never sees her again. I really was thinking, man, could you imagine, even just, okay, from fiction writers such as ourselves, could you imagine how much easier it would be to write stories before phones and internet and stuff, before you could just connect with anybody at all? Because mm-hmm. now, how do you just lose somebody's number? Right. You have to try. Like, somebody gives you a number and you put it in your phone, unless you lose your phone. Yeah, you, have to, you would have to lose your phone. And and, most, it, and even that, you might be able to uh, get onto your laptop or depending yeah. on how you have your- Or just backed your, up somewhere. Yeah. And that's us being old heads, because most people don't do that. They go, hey, what's your Snap? What's your Instagram? Uh, what's your Facebook? What's your TikTok? <laughs> so, every time every time I, I see one of those, like, videos on a reel or something, and, and it's, like, some young person asking another young person for their Snap, just a little bit of me dies on yeah. me. So, I was like, oh, oh. I really feel like modern technology has really killed, like, serendipity. Like, <laughs> you don't just happen... Upon somebody, it's like, oh my god! I like in the one story we saw where the guy's making up the scenario of meeting the girl, and then yeah. they don't, they leave each other, and then twenty years later they run into each other again. Can't do that with Facebook. No, you know where everybody is at all times, unless you're just a hermit. 
I just think that was really interesting. It's like, man, could that had to suck to just like have to write somebody's number down by hand and then you can just lose it. Well, I mean, how many times have we talked about this, like just it bullshitting to each other? Like, oh, you know, not even around the show is that because we've been wanting watch a little bit more Seinfeld because it's yeah, been a comedy show. Yeah, it's pointless without... If you had a cell phone, most of that show doesn't happen anymore. I was surprised. I was watching an older episode. It was like from like, ep- like season nine and Kramer mentions the internet. Oh. And I was like, what? <laughs> the internet? Because you know it was like 99 by then. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it was on the cusp there. AOL. Yeah. Oh, well, we should probably finish the story yeah. off. So, again, this one isn't really a story. It's just a guy reminiscing. Even though it's a longer one, uh, this guy ends up, he's at a, like, I think it's the last Chinese person he meets. He ends up at a cafe, and some guy barges in. The guy's like, oh, you probably don't remember me, do you? I remember you. And he doesn't remember the guy. Long story short, the guy is a psych- encyclopedia salesman who only sells to Chinese people. And then it makes something click in the protagonist's head. Again, unnamed protagonist. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, this was the Chinese kid. That was my high school. Uh, I never talked to him. <laughs> like, it's like, okay. There's like this really drawn out scene where this guy's almost like pseudo philosophy, like his life philosophy, he's kind of bringing up, but it's like in this weird, weird jilted way. I didn't really get anything from this. And then they end up just parting again, never to see them again. And then there's like a final scene where he some, I don't know, he surmises everything, I guess. I, I wasn't interested by this point because it was just him meeting Chinese people and it didn't really have much of a meaning other than maybe like the fleetingness of memory. And like we've talked about in the first person singular, like, you know, how memories can hold certain things of nostalgia and stuff. Well, and, and I kind of got like at the beginning of the story, not maybe as keen on Chinese people, but by the end was just like, yeah, they're all, you know, they're, they're yeah. not bad. You don't well, buy just buy a group or whatever. With the translation... And then us just not being Japanese, we probably just don't get the significance yeah. of Japanese-Chinese relations. And why would it be important to even write this story? But it, if you're Yeah, because he might have caught some slack for this story back when it was originally written. Yeah, maybe. May not cut slack, but maybe, yeah. you know, would have, you know, got people talking. I feel like it would be more impactful if it was about Koreans. Because Japanese and Koreans really hate each other. So I can see that, like, there's, like, a lot of racism for Japanese to Korean people. Yeah, I never really studied too much into the history of why they hate I, I remember watching something about it, but I was just like, this... I, I have enough with Americans hating each other. I can't get into reasons of other countries hating each other. I think if... And obviously you would have to change the title of the story... But, like, I think if he just would have focused on that middle one with when he was younger with the girl. That would have been a good story. And just expanded it maybe a little bit, you know, give it a couple extra pages. I think that would have been a better better story. Yeah, because the elementary story was completely pointless. And then the cafe story had nothing to do with the other ones, really. And it was kind of pointless. But, like, the one in the middle, that was, like, something you could see happening like it was like okay you know almost like a boy meets girl type of deal but it had like a twist on it boy meets girl boy takes boy takes girl to discotheque discotheque i want to go to the discotheque all i can ever think about is gabe from uh the office when he's talking about i remember when he uh dwight's talking about biceps and he's like uh-huh. oh i bet you just like all core and he's like yeah what are you a bicep guy you think it's all about biceps when you go to the discotheque and he does like a little dance so i guess that was a mere comedy minute huh uh next week we might finish this out or we might have two short episodes well i think the last stories are all kind of long maybe yeah. i might be wrong i didn't really 
I yeah, know a couple of them are. Yeah, they're all like at least like twenty to thirty pages, I think. Yeah. So coming up, which you you already read this one, you said it was really interesting, like very Mirakami like you felt was the the dancing dwarf. Yeah. Just the name alone kind of you know suggests that the last lawn of the afternoon, the silence and the elephant vanishes, which was our final story. I would love to see what these original titles are in Japanese, like to be able to understand them, mm-hmm. like because I'm sure they're not as basic sounding. As like a window, I feel mm. like they. I mean, they could be, but I feel like they have something more to offer than uh, what the translation versions are. And I wonder also if it's the person who's translating the story translates the title. Mm. Like is Jay Rubin translating his stories? Alfred Birnbaum's translating his stories. I don't know. Be interested in uh, checking that out. And also, oh, this isn't a regular episode, so I can't promote anything. Fudge. <laughs> I wanted to promote that book of the month. <laughs> Fudge. I like to cement it, so you have to read these things. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, thank you folks for listening. We'll check you out next week.